We love the season of Advent here at Littleton Christian Church. We love uh, just sort of all the traditions, the ways that we come together. I love the lights. I love, I just love it. I love the decorations. It's a good time. And one thing that I really love in this season is getting the mail is suddenly fun. You know, it's not fun most of the year. It's junk mail most of the year. But, you know, if if you're in a sort of peer group that still does Christmas cards, it's great. Every day when you go to your mail, you're getting pictures of some people that, you know, oh, I haven't seen them since their card last year or whatever. So, um, so should we check and see if we have any mail today? You guys think? Should I, hey, look, it looks like we do. Oh, good. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, yeah, some junk mail, progressive insurance. No, I don't need that. Oh, look. Um, a world, a, a little uh, letter from World Vision. Uh, a bunch of us are doing this Team World Vision race. We're running a marathon together, and there's still time for you to sign up to join Team World Vision. So we'd love if you would do that. There's no information about that here in this envelope. Ah, here's something. You know, we have a New Testament because the early believers wrote letters back and forth to each other. They gathered, you know, in rooms probably smaller than this and, uh, and worshiped at least once a week. They came together at the table and they just messed up all the time. They had trouble being patient with each other. They got caught up in, in teachings that were not really the direction uh, Jesus was, wanted his people to go. And so what would happen is they would write letters back and forth to each other to encourage each other, to call each other back to the truth, uh, to remind each other what was good. And, and it looks like we've received such a letter today. Ah, oh, this is great. The four shortest letters in the New Testament are each one page long. And so those are our Christmas cards this year. It's kind of a long page, but <laughs> let's read this letter together. From Jude. Oh, Jude. Do you guys, Jude, that's Jesus' brother. Well, I guess half-brother. Same, same mom. Um, uh, Jude, uh, um, he's famous. He's like leading the church in Jerusalem. Oh, Jesus is, okay, from Jude. A slave of Jesus Christ. Uh, Last week, we talked about Philemon and how because Jesus came, we have a new family. It's interesting that Jude wouldn't claim his brotherhood with Jesus, but instead would put himself on level ground with the whole rest of Jesus's community. We're slaves of Jesus together. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, also Jesus's half-brother. To those who are called, wrapped in the love of God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be lavished on you. Thanks, Jude. Dear friends, although I have been eager to write to you about our common salvation, I now feel compelled instead to write to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men have secretly slipped in among you, men who long ago were marked out for the condemnation I am about to describe, ungodly men who have turned the grace of our God into a license for evil and who deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I desire to remind you, even though I have been 
fully informed of these facts, even though you have been fully informed of these facts once for all, that Jesus, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, later destroyed those who did not believe. You also know that the angels who did not keep within their proper domain, but abandoned their own place of residence, he is kept in eternal chains in utter darkness, locked up for the judgment of the great day. So also Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring towns, since they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire in a way similar to these angels, are now displayed as an example by suffering the punishment of eternal fire. Yet these men, as a result of their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and insult the glorious ones. But even when Michael, the archangel, was arguing with the devil and debating with him concerning Moses' body, he did not dare to bring a slanderous judgment, but said, May the Lord rebuke you. But these men do not understand the things they slander. They are being destroyed by the very things that, like irrational animals, they instinctively comprehend. Woe to them. For they have traveled down Cain's path, and because of greed have abandoned themselves to Balaam's error. Hence, they will certainly perish in Korah's rebellion. These men are dangerous reefs at your love feasts, feasting without reverence, feeding only themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, uprooted, wild sea waves spewing out the foam of their shame, Wayward stars for whom the utter depths of eternal darkness have been reserved. Now, Enoch, the seventh in descent, beginning with Adam, even prophesied of them, saying, Look, the Lord is coming with thousands and thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict every person of all their thoroughly ungodly deeds that they have committed and all the harsh words that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders who go wherever their desires lead them and they give bombastic speeches, enchanting folks for their own gain. But you, dear friends, recall the predictions foretold the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you, at the end of time, there will come scoffers propelled by their own ungodly desires. These people are divisive, worldly, devoid of the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, by praying in the spirit, maintain yourselves in the love of God while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life and have mercy on those who waver Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy on others coupled with the fear of God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Now, to the one who is able to keep you from falling and to cause you to stand, rejoicing without blemish before his glorious presence, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and for all eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, would you speak to us in this moment of silence about your word?
Lord, help us to hear what you wanted to say through Jude, both to his first readers and also to us. Give us your spirit. Open our hearts. Transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my goodness, somebody needs to teach Jude how to write a proper Christmas letter. <laughs> didn't even say Merry Christmas at any point. Um, in case you didn't catch it, there's a group of people that have slipped into Jude's congregation that Jude is very disturbed about. If Jude had a Twitter account, it would be a very mean Twitter account. You guys, most of that letter was insults. The vast majority. Let me, let me show you. I think we have a list of, of insults. Let me just show you. Here's a, here, I, I put together a list. Um, uh, here, here's uh, uh, the, what Jude's opponents are. Their intruders have slipped in. Long ago, they were marked for condemnation. They're ungodly. They pervert the grace of God. They're licentious. Oh, there's more. They deny our only master Jesus. They're dreamers. They defile the flesh, reject authority, insult the glorious ones. They slander the things they don't understand. They're like animals. They destroyed, they're destroyed by the things that they know by instinct. They're blemishes on the love feasts. That's, uh, that's weekly worship. This is a love feast. Um, they are without proper fear. They feed themselves only. They're waterless clouds, fruitless trees, wild waves, wandering stars. They're grumblers, malcontents, indulge their own lusts, enchanting folks for their own gain, divisive, worldly, devoid of the spirit. And they're also like all of these bad things in scripture. They're, they're like the unfaithful Israelites in the wilderness. They're like fallen angels. They're like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't want to be associated with them. They're, they're like Cain, you know, killed his brother Abel. They're like Balaam, who was a prophet for hire. They're like Korah, who led a rebellion against Moses. Jude is really not happy with this group of people. Like, whoa, man. And he, he's going to great lengths to tell his readers, don't listen to them. <laughs> don't listen to them. Man, I, could you imagine being in a, like, getting in an insult battle with Jude on the school bus? My goodness. The guy's got creativity for insults. Wow. He is troubled by these people. What is it about them? that Jude is so bothered by. These people are saying that because Jesus came, we have a new license to do whatever we want. That's their basic message. Because Jesus came, we, have, we are free to do whatever we want. They're saying, this is the new good news, hooray! We, like, especially, Stuff with our bodies, especially sexual behavior. That there's that there is they're convinced. Like, look, Jesus is the guy who you know he he um, was kind to prostitutes and he partied with tax collectors and you know he always hung out with the people who lived wild. Like, this is who Jesus was. Woohoo! Let's do it. Party. Like that's that's their idea, um, and they're influential people. And guess what? People love that message. People love that message, you guys. Hey, God has come. Game time. Like, go for it. Have, whatever your urges are, follow those urges. This is not a new teaching, <laughs> however. I mean, 
find basically any culture in human history, you will find some group of philosophers or leaders or, or pop singers who are telling you to, to follow your every desire, that that's the way to be truly and completely human. They are claiming that there is a new license. That's what licentious means. Licentious is such a highbrow word. You're licentious. But that's, they're claiming they have new license to do whatever they want. After all, didn't God create us with these desires? You know, isn't sex just a biological and physical appetite as natural as, as, as eating food? And so people should be able to do it as much as they want with whoever they want. Besides, you know, the, the teaching may have gone. Besides, even if that stuff is sinful, isn't that what Jesus died for? He's forgiven us all our sins, past and future. I have a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's their teaching. Judas saying that this isn't, this isn't a new holiness. This isn't new at all. This is, this is just a repackaged old corruption, he's saying. It's the same behavior as Israelites who were liberated from slavery in Egypt and then wouldn't obey their rescuer. It's the same behavior as Cain who was offered a chance to make it right with God, but instead let his desire for vengeance overwhelm him and attacked his brother. And Jude says that what, what happens when you take on this belief is eventually by saying, hey, we have new license to do whatever we want. Those desires actually become king. And slowly, the, our respect for someone else who would claim to be king and tell us what we can and cannot do in our relationships in our lives, that respect starts to be reduced. I can think of so many people that, that were, you know, my peers in, in youth group and church in high school and in college who, you know, in that season, um, in, the, in that era, there was so much focus on, um, you know, purity. On, you know, there were books about, you know, kissing, dating, goodbye. And they started saying, like, why does God care so much about my sex life? Like, is that all that he's, is that all he cares about? Like, I don't want to follow that God. Like, it seems weirdly focused on that. And so eventually their respect for God went down to the point where they just walked away from their faith. This is what happens. And I can kind of understand how looking at an old way of thinking about holiness could lead to a desire for this new license. You see, in old, in old holiness, you remain pure or you get punished. If, if you cease to be pure, you're out. Like, we got to separate from you. And so all of it is like this emphasis on this certain type of behavior, uh, especially with our bodies and with how we dress and, and how we talk. And if we don't do that, not only have we defiled ourselves, but we're pretty dangerous to other people too. In its most religious form, believers through the ages have seen sex as 
dirty or, or at least a dangerous impulse that leads constantly to sin. And there's plenty of examples in Christian history of very zealous believers going to very extreme measures to try to eliminate those desires from their bodies. There's also really sad examples of, uh, especially this has happened uh, to women throughout church history where, where like women have been punished by men who find them attractive. Like it's your fault that I find you attractive. And so there's been this culture that's developed where uh, anything that sort of stirs up any ideas in anyone had, anyone's head is punished. They've taken Jesus' statement from the Sermon on the Mount that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and sometimes taken it pretty literally. More recently, as I just mentioned, there's been a lot of discussion about purity culture. You've heard that phrase. This was prevalent. Uh, I, you know, at least I was really aware of it in the, in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, when I was an adolescent and young, young adult. Josh Harris is the one who wrote, I kissed dating goodbye. And now he's, he himself has walked away from his faith. He's apologized for his message in that book. He's, he's recanted his entire message. He's saying that focus on purity actually, he feels like did damage to people. In the Gospels, it's super easy to see the, the distaste that people have for the overly religious, right? I mean, that's a big part of Jesus's message is like these Pharisees who are just seemingly going around with a, with a checklist to see if you're following the rules properly. And if you're not, you're, you're excluded from the community. Of, that's distasteful to say the least, right? Who doesn't want to hear a so-called religious authority come into the community and say, no, 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 that's not the way. You can actually do whatever you want. Of course, Jude needs to go to great measures to tell his people, this is not the way. But, but is he just trying to get us back to this old holiness where we're afraid of all of those things? No, because Jesus came, there's a new holiness. Near the end of his letter, Jude says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourselves up. What's this most holy faith? It's the claim that God has come in the flesh and that he's made a way to connect to him. How do we build ourselves up in our most holy faith? Is there a better way than using shame and exclusion and punitive measures on those who fall. I'm going to describe Jude's answer to this better way in two categories. There's probably better terms for it, but one I'll call spiritual disciplines, things you could do on your own or, or in community. And the other one I'll call community disciplines, things that we do for one another. So spiritual disciplines, it's this great list in Jude. First, we're to remember the apostles' teaching. Remember the apostles' teaching. He, he quotes probably from the apostle Peter. It's not a direct quote from anywhere in the letters, but so much of the New Testament is grappling with this. Remember the teaching. He's calling us to meditate on Scripture. Remember the warnings of the apostles. 
so, so many of the apostles um, warn us against treating the grace of Jesus the way a, a crime syndicate would treat a corrupt judge. Like, oh no, we got, you know, we got Judge Stevens here on the, you know, on the bench, so we can do whatever we want, right? The, the, that's, that's a warning that's all over the New Testament. That's distorting the gospel. When we do that, we're, we're not following Jesus at all. We're using him for our own gain. This happens all over the, the New Testament in Acts chapter 20. Paul warns the Ephesian elders, this is going to come from the teachers. Be on guard, like elders of the church, be on guard because you will desire to present this teaching even yourself. He, he tells the Galatians, you're free. You have total freedom in Christ. But don't use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Don't use it as an excuse for evil. To the Romans, he says, shall we sin more so that grace may abound? Meganoita. Danny always remembers that Greek phrase. By no means, no way. The logic of the apostles throughout the New Testament is that if you use the mercy of Jesus as, as an excuse to disobey Jesus and live for yourself, you don't really love and trust Jesus. You're not following him. The grace of Jesus empowers us to follow him. It doesn't liberate us to rebel against him. But the apostles promoted a message of grace that transforms us. It takes us from death to life. So, so how does Jude present this life of grace? Well, the next thing he says is pray in the Spirit. We maintain our most holy faith. We live in this new holiness by praying in the Spirit. What does this mean? You know, this isn't some necessarily some charismatic expression where you, you're... Um, you know, repeating phrases or praying in tongues or whatever. This benefit of the victory and rule of Jesus comes again and again to us through Scripture. Because Jesus lived, died, rose again, and ascended on high, he has sent the Spirit to us. And the Spirit helps us in our prayers. You don't need to know eloquent prayers. You don't need to know, like, anything aside from, I'm faced with this temptation and I need help. I need help. Pray in the Spirit means the Spirit will help you in your prayers. He intercedes on our behalf, the Spirit. We never know how to pray as we ought. We never do. Don't be fooled by people like me to acting like I know how to pray as I should. We don't know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit prays on our behalf. We pray in the Spirit and He applies the righteous, loving person of Jesus to us to our lives. We call on the Father who knows what we need. We ask for his will to be done. And before the words are out of our mouths, he's transforming our desires. Old holiness says, become pure to enter the presence of God. Rid yourself of sin in order to qualify. New holiness, praying in the spirit, reminds us that Jesus has come across the chasm of sin and he's brought his very presence with him. And he'll carry us back. Second, we're to maintain, or third, I'm sorry, we're to maintain ourselves in the love of God. This doesn't sound very uh, feel ashamed for your desires-ish, does it? Maintain yourselves in the love of God. I loved this from a 1903 commentary on Jude. 
Alfred Plummer. He says, to be conscious of being beloved by God is one of the greatest protections that the believer can possess. Just to know that you are loved by God. I, I do not have the capacity, even if I were the master of every language in the universe, to articulate the wonder of the concept of the love of God. How can we describe it? We're not to maintain ourselves in the wrath of God. That's old holiness. We have a new holy. Maintain yourself in the love of God. Inside the grace of Jesus, what sounded like wrath before is a furious love song calling us home. The holiness of God interpreted by people led to generations of religious rules. Here's all the rules you need to follow to be holy. Holy men stood apart from the commoners and showed it by the way they dressed, the way they spoke, the tables they took at feasts. Those who were stained by the crooked world were not worthy to be in the same room as the holy men. But the holiness of God has been made new by the coming of Jesus. Here's how old holiness worked. If you were pure, you know, if you had maintained your purity somehow, the important thing for you was to stay away from anyone who's unclean. Because it's like canasta. You, you, you can make a clean book dirty, but you can't make a dirty book clean, if anyone knows that card game. You know, you can't, you can't make something that's clean, unclean, clean. So if I'm pure and you're unclean and we interact too much, you've stained me. That's old holiness. But think about the life of Jesus. It says the doctor has not come for the healthy, but for the sick. There he is among the, the last people you would expect him with. This is the holiness of Jesus. He is the clean that makes dirty clean. He, he has contagious purity. In a world of COVID, he breathes on us. How do we maintain ourselves in the love of God? We come to him, we pray in the spirit. Maybe, maybe you have lived plenty of times giving yourselves the license that is described to Jude's opponents Easy for you to say, Mike, you know, you, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know the things I've searched on Google. You don't know the fantasies I've cultivated or the people I've spent time with. You don't know the way I've used and abused people. Uh, you're, uh, you're right. I, I don't know all of it. I don't know all of it. If I could see inside your head, I'd probably be terrified. And you would, be, you would run out of the room screaming if you could see inside I, I don't. It's true. But that very thinking is old holiness thinking. The old holiness anticipates the wrath of God. The curses that will rain down on the wicked. Jude's final spiritual discipline calls for something far different. We're not to anticipate the wrath of God. What did he say? We're in to anticipate the mercy of our Lord Jesus. Jesus that brings eternal life, 
The new holiness does not anticipate wrath. It anticipates mercy. What's different? Because Jesus has come. Those who fall on him, no matter what, will be accepted by him. No matter how broken and corrupt you were, he welcomes you in his mercy and turns you into the light of the world, the salt of the earth. The love of God through Jesus actually creates in us the desire for godliness. It's not a matter of trying harder, but finding our strength in Christ in order to direct our desires in a way that brings the most glory to God. That's what he does. He also offers community practices, community disciplines that help us live in the new holiness. It's an amazing list. Old holiness would say, if someone has messed up, like send them out, and once they've spent enough time and they've gotten clean, then they can, they can come back. Once they've proven that they can come back. Here's what he says. You know, have mercy on those who waver. This is a different, this is different. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy on others coupled with the fear of God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Friends, this is a totally new way to be holy. This is a new way to be holy. Not just Jesus isn't the only one who has contagious purity. He's given it to his, his followers. And the way that we treat one another in brokenness, the way we treat one another when, when the shadow of shame has darkened our eyes, that makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> It is not saying, come and, and live in this self-destructive way in our midst. No. It's saying, despite that destructive behavior, Jesus has healed you. Friends, I, I, I want to follow a Savior like that. I want to treat people like that. I don't want to live in judgment and, re and rebuke of people who are thinking differently or behaving differently or doing things with their bodies that I think are, are stealing life from them. But I wonder if the same mercy that transformed lives through our Lord Jesus could be expressed through us. We don't want to avoid people until they're clean. We don't. We want to spread the good virus. We want to be the community that maintains holiness by extending mercy, not by excluding. We want to invite both the ignorant who don't know that the way they're living is dehumanizing themselves, and we want to invite the wayward, those people who have willfully turned away from the Lord to return to Christ and find healing as they follow him. That's how holiness is new, because Jesus has come. And we celebrate that new holiness at our love feast, which we have right here.
This is what people did when they came together. They came and they sat at the meal together with people they never would have associated with before. And shared the meal that is the very expression of true love. So brothers and sisters, on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the very sacrifice that offered a new holiness to us. Let's pray together. Father, my brothers and sisters, friends in this room, we carry shame in us. We have this old holiness hard written into us, even if we hate it and reject it, we have it written into us. Lord, so often we keep ourselves from you until we feel like we have it together. And yet you, Lord, you're the one who said in John 6 that all that the Father gives to you, if we come to you, you will never for any reason turn us away. So, Lord, I I pray that coming to this table would be a symbol for all, all of my brothers and sisters in this room of coming to you. And that they would experience the love of God that will never turn them away. In Jesus' name.